if applause is when you're clapping, it was is one clap applause. And with that, folks, I welcome you to this episode of the Superhero Ethics. Today we're talking about, uh, can you tell that we've just both watched a lot of Joker, of Heath Ledger's Joker? Because we're talking about the Nolanverse. We are beginning the Batman Nolanverse, talking primarily about Batman Begins, but also some of the Dark Knight, as we continue our series on who is our Batman, as we get ready for Robert Pattinson's entry into the uh, genre. All that and more with myself and Paul Hoppy. right after this commercial break, we have no control over Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. I'm joined by Mr. Paul Hoppy. Paul, how are we uh, doing today? Doing pretty good. I don't know. Feeling a little, a little, little silly. A little silly. Yeah. yeah. We'll see uh, how it goes. Heath Ledger will do that to a person, <laughs> um, or Heath Ledger's Joker. I'm feeling very, very silly and and laughable, and uh, during this very dark take on the Batman. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, we're diving in today to uh, yet another version of Batman. Um, you know, I think initially uh, I had a very ambitious goal, which was that we we're going to wa- do an episode on pretty much every movie about Batman and maybe some of the TV shows as well. That was perhaps a little ambitious. I got sick. Other people have gotten sick. There's been houses to buy. There's been things to do. But we're going to at least try and get like kind of hit a lot of the major perspectives on Batman. You know, we've gotten um, Tim Burton and Michael Keaton's. We did a couple of the animation versions. Uh, we're definitely going to do Joel Schumacher and maybe combining Val Kilmer and George Clooney or maybe doing the two of them together. Um, we've, we've had some comments on back Ben Affleck and Zack Snyder. And today we're going to get into what is, I think, many people's favorite live action, although there can never be some controversy, certainly my own favorite. And um, one that I think is, is you know perhaps the most recent Batman we got before uh, Affleck in live action again, uh, which is Christopher Nolan uh, as the director and Christian Bale as the actor. And, you know, the there's a trilogy the, the third movie in the trilogy, uh, The Dark Knight Rises, Paul and I have actually done a full episode on. So we're probably not going to touch on that one very closely, though we might mention it once or twice. Um, we're going to talk primarily about Batman Begins, but also about um, The Dark Knight, because kind of continuing the series, our goal is not to just do kind of a review of the movie, but more to explore these same questions we've been asking about what is the take on Gotham? What is the take on Batman? What is the take on Bruce Wayne? All of it kind of giving us a further picture of what are we going to be thinking about as we go into uh, Robert Pattinson's The Batman, uh, continuing the, uh, you know, we had Suicide Squad and then we had The Suicide Squad. So I guess just adding the the is going to be DC's new uh, approach to things. Uh, all right. Enough on the new stuff. Uh, let's take us back about 20 years. Paul, what's kind of your overall feelings about Christopher Nolan and Christian Bale and this take on the Batman story? Uh, I like them a lot. It's not my absolute favorite Batman. I do think that the three movies form a cohesive view of the character, mm-hmm. right? I think it is a cohesive portrayal that is a take on the character and very explicitly gets into some some things about him um, that some other things maybe generally tend to kind of imply but not not really deal with as directly. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's theoretically a more real world kind of Batman. Like there's no outright magic. There is some, you know, spy fi kind of science fiction tech. Right. That's that's a thing. But it's it's never super outrageous. And there's there's no like powers that any of the, the characters have really. Yeah, like, in a lot of ways, I feel like this movie is closer to, like, a Born Identity or, you know, John Wick kind of a movie than it is to, say, like, Superman or The Flash or something like that. Absolutely. 
I, I think it's kind of one reason why why I like it. I like it, and and these movies, the, the third one, I have some real thoughts on. Uh, but this take on Batman so much is because, for me, it it feels the most like the real world issues. You know, in that, as I would say it, like I think Nolan's Nolan's primary take on Batman is Batman is a story about what do we do when the normal forces of justice are so hopelessly corrupt that you cannot, you can't put someone in jail, you can't go to the courts, you can't go to the police. And and, and really kind of exploring that idea of like, how much is it or isn't okay to break the law in order to protect justice, you know, to save the law by, by breaking the law. And we'll get into all that, but I think that's kind of where I start overall. I think that's part of why for me, that kind of very gritty ground level, like, with the exception of maybe some Harvey Dent makeup in the second movie, um, you know, this feels very much a, like, I could believe this happening in our own world. Yeah. I mean, I think this is, I, I saw there was some argument over, um, um, gangster movies versus like superhero movies or whatever. Mm -hmm. To me, this trilogy is like the intersection of, crime yeah. stories and superhero stories you know mm -hmm. and so you know the word i think grounded and gritty is fairly applicable but right. you know maybe less so than it than it than like it's sort of purported to be you know it's yeah, like it it's feels fair. like stuff that could happen you know in in our reality um yeah not necessarily so much like stuff that would happen but i did like how how you put it when we were covering I'm not sure if it was the animated series or if it was before that when we were covering Batman Returns, but you you referred to this as sort of the, um, you know, the Batman that you think that we would actually get, like, in the real world, as opposed to, mm -hmm. like, one that we might hope for, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> and and I, I like that. And, and um, yeah, I mean, these feel like crime stories and, like, the the overall question is, like, what is it reasonable to do when you know the whole system's broken basically and you can't you yeah. know you just go and try and arrest someone and then they're just going to get let go because everybody's paid off mm -hmm. um, you know and that's not an easy question to answer right yeah and i think that's why i think it's why i think for many people dark knight certainly for me is kind of the pinnacle of it mm -hmm. because it really but but even just watching it again i was able to see again how much um the, the Batman Begins really sets up those questions in ways that I think are really interesting. Um, so let's kind of get into some of the, the specifics of it. Um, where, what's your, I mean, obviously what all starts with, like, is this my Batman? You know, what's, what's your, before we kind of answer that specific question, let's just kind of talk in general. Like, what's, what's your opinion on how this movie presents uh, Bruce Wayne and Batman? Uh, so in um, the, you know, there's the whole backstory part that's, like, before mm -hmm. he goes on his quest to kind of become Batman. And which he isn't even, like, I'm going to become Batman. He's, like, I'm going to go try and figure some stuff out, basically. Right. Right. Um, the part before that, I'm not crazy about. You know, I, mm -hmm. I don't love that they catch Joe Chill right away. I do think the Joe Chill in this, you know, who, who murdered the Waynes, is very much the Joe Chill that I'd like to see. That's the one right. who, who's just, like, some dude who just, you know was broke or desperate or whatever. And so. Yeah. It's not a plan. It's not an assassination of the Waynes. It's just, I need some money for whatever. And here's some rich people and I'm going to 
put a gun in front of them. Exactly. It's it's second degree murder, right? It's not first yeah. degree murder. It's just like, I'm going to try and steal and I'm going to threaten someone with a gun and I might end up shooting them. But my plan isn't to go and murder these people specifically. Um, I do think you can have great intrigue in terms of like figuring out who tried to kill the Waynes and you can make some big thing that some other things have. But here, this to me sort of speaks more to, you know, the the origin of Batman and and like Bruce Wayne kind of having this understanding that there are a lot of people who are driven to do things like this and that they're not necessarily all, you know, masterminds or um, that it's not always all malice. Right. And, but that it's like, it's something that's, that's very um, just the fact that like people do kill each other, you know, I think is, is sort of central to, the development of, of Batman's identity, particularly in the versions where Batman's like, I'm not going to kill people, which is mostly right. this Batman, right? That's, that's what this Batman is supposed to be. We can get into that a little bit more later. But right. um, yeah, I feel like I don't love that Joe Chill's caught right away because I feel like then there isn't this kind of, well, any person that he's tracking down could have been that guy, mm, right? That's fair. You know, that's so, fair. Um, and then I also really don't like that he's like, yeah, I'm going to shoot him when he gets uh, let free. Um, you know, I think that is there to very explicitly sort of try and create a discussion between like vengeance and justice. Um, mm-hmm. Personally, I don't really believe in either. Um, a lot of what most people call justice, I agree with. And a lot of right. it, I don't. But, like, I don't think there's, like, this objective concept. I think that's something that, you know, people kind of make up. But I, I think, yeah, to me, they're, they're different concepts. And I feel a lot better about things that are more justice than vengeance. But I think the line between them is very blurry and very gray. Right. And, and probably different for everybody. Sure, yeah. And, um, you know, the... The fact that the choice is like taken out of his hands, that Bruce doesn't make a decision not to do that, that he was Mm -hmm. going to kill that guy, probably, unless he backed out at the last moment. And then somebody runs up and shoots him, which is like, oh, yeah, well, that would happen. Right. (laughs) Of course, that would happen. (laughs) So, you know, um, it feels uh, that turn I liked, but it to me, it kind of it stunts Bruce's character a little bit. And Mm -hmm. for me, the fact that here's a 20-ish Bruce, you know, year old Bruce Wayne who hasn't done any visible training, done any visible studying. Like, how is this guy going to become Batman in seven years? You know, just by going and living amongst criminals and then like stealing a piece of fruit and like getting locked up in jail and beating some people up. Like, and then doing some training, right? Okay, he did some, some hardcore training, but it feels to me like... I feel like a Batman that's really convincing to me probably has to be have been training since basically like his parents got killed and he's like, I'm going to do this thing. So that's like right. my vision of Batman. And I don't love the way this goes, but I understand sort of and I feel like it works narratively very well. Mm-hmm. So to me, this is a version of Batman that I appreciate. Yeah, I, I think I hear you about that. And I think it, it feels to me like there's there's a couple of different points on the Batman journey and one of which is the decision to kind of train himself to be like this very well-trained fighter and certainly in in this movie in these movies the implication seems to be that that when he first like decides not to kill Joe, Joe Chill and kind of goes off to to you know Asia to find himself and gets into all this petty crime and stuff 
he has he has a good deal of fighting skills by then already right. because you know as they say like they're putting him in solitary to protect everyone else in the prison yeah, from yeah. him because he's he's so good already. And, and yeah, I, I I wish I would have something about that. I watching this movie again, I I came up with a new theory that I've kind of sh- pointed at a little bit to you, and I'm kind of but now you can kind of tell me all the ways that you think I'm wrong or whatever. And, and it's not even that I I think Nolan was this intentional, but I think you, there's sort of an idea here. In most tellings of the story, one of the ideas, and I got, I got this, I'll say, from the, the a great podcast, DC On Screen, they've made the point a number of times that, you know, with most, like, Clark Kent is the person and Superman is kind of his alternate identity, you know, and, like, Jon Stewart is the primary identity. One of the things that sets Batman apart is that Batman is the core identity mm. and Bruce Wayne is the front I feel like the first two movies in this series, and maybe to some extent the third, though I kind of more disagree with its take on it, it's kind of playing a what-if game, you know, of... Because often the idea is, once his parents are dead, he has lost everything. You know, he still has Alfred, but Alfred's this very kind of weird relationship. He doesn't have, like, aunts or sisters or siblings or, like, he doesn't have a strong family connection. And Nolan says, well, what if he had a best friend? Right. What if we had that childhood best friend? And it was kind of like, you know, they're too young to maybe it, for it to be a crush, but it could clearly become a crush later. And then obviously in this movie it does. Because I feel like in some ways the first two movies entirely are an origin story because it's a, well, you know, what if it wasn't the moment his parents died that he has to fully give himself over to being the Batman? Like that, that this is all I can do. It feels like for most of these two movies, and even the third movie, and I've heard this being a critique, is that that Nolan feels like Bruce Wayne always could go back to being Bruce Wayne. That he could get to a point of closure and healing with the, the, the I think we can call it a PTSD kind of experience, so I don't want to diagnose a sure. fictional character, but a, a deeply traumatic childhood experience of seeing his parents murdered right in front of him in a way that, in his mind, he could blame himself for, though I think incorrectly um so yes i I guess kind of that's i feel like you're right that some of the dates don't line up and this is a different take on it but i think i really appreciate it when i look at it through those eyes of you know whether you want to call it a what if or not nolan is kind of asking like what if the decision to fully become batman or that the push to fully become batman doesn't really happen in maybe it doesn't happen at all based on the third movie but cert- like you know, at the end of the second movie, Rachel says that to him, like that. Now is only when I fully have decided you really are Batman. That you can't be, you couldn't come back to being Bruce anymore. Um, what, what's kind of your take on that on that view of it? That it's that that a lot of it is is we're, we're pushing all the narrative back because we're pushing back the moment when Bruce when Bruce really fully becomes Batman. Yeah, I think that's that's sort of both a strength and a weakness of the trilogy for me that. Mm-hmm. It is basically always asking the question, like, does Bruce Wayne need to become Batman? You know, can Batman go back to being Bruce Wayne? Can Does Gotham need someone to be Batman? You know? Right. Um, and I think those are very interesting questions. I think having them be kind of, in some way, the focus of all three movies, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, it, it goes back to my uh, sort of... You know, one of the things I liked in, in Batman Returns was, like, Batman Returns was just like, yeah, he's he's Batman. 
You know, there's not there's not a whole bunch of he's just doing Batman things. He didn't have a character arc. And right. He didn't need one. Yeah, he didn't need an arc, right? He had a character, yeah. but you don't always need an arc. I've heard some movies, um, you know, complain, like somebody was talking about Braveheart, which, you know, you can have whatever thoughts you have on it, but they're like, well, you know, it's not really good drama because, you know, he's brave at the beginning, he's brave at the end, there's no character arc. And it's like, why do you always need this kind of arc to be like the backbone of your your story like it doesn't have to be that way right that's not the only way to tell a story and i do think that these movies are trying to kind of get to the heart of like you know why is he batman and what does it mean to be batman and like should he continue doing it um for me it's like in the first movie i like that Right. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of could have done with the second movie just being like, he is Batman, period. He's going to keep being Batman after the second movie. And then maybe the third movie, there's like a sort of like, how long should he be Batman kind of for, you know? So I feel like in terms of the, the, the arc of the overall trilogy, there's maybe like a bit too much of that same question being asked. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, it is the theme of it. And I think it does, you know, this trilogy does a good job of exploring it. And the first movie is more just that journey into becoming Batman, um, which once once he gets on that plane with Alfred to come back, mm-hmm. um, I feel like it really takes off. And that's, for me, that's um, really the best part of the movie is the second act, which is so rare. You know, it's yeah. so rare for the second act of a two hour and 15 minute movie to be like my favorite part. Usually there's the beginning and you can come up with a great ending. People can ruin things in the end too, but like... To actually have a really strong second act that um, kind of feels like it just like flows right through. Um, to me, that's like the biggest strength of, of this movie. Yeah. I think it's very true. Yeah, especially when we talk about Batman Begins. And I'll, I'll just say one more thing about the kind of overall narrative arc of the trilogy. And then we can kind of focus more on this. It's funny. I, I feel the same way you do that the question is too much. But I kind of would reverse it. Because to me, I feel like one of the things that they really do well in Dark Knight is this idea of, because part of the whole concept in Dark Knight, and we can get into this in a, in a little bit, but is his idea of maybe this is temporary. You right. know, that maybe that I could, cre- that I can create this situation in which someone like Her- Harvey Dent can emerge and Harvey Dent can come along and cure all the um, uh, uh, corruption and badness and then I won't be needed anymore. Right. And that by the end of it, like, you realize you, there's never going to be a pure figure like Harvey Dent. The Joker's kind of proven that. And so then we kind of end it with, so yes, he will always have to be Batman and the world will always need Batman. It's then that the third movie kind of was like, well, but actually maybe he could retire. You know, although there it is, like, someone else could be Batman. And I guess actually that that's maybe another way, way of saying it is I feel like, and, and here we can again get to the first movie uh, primarily because this is a big theme in the first movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like there are two very interesting questions that do overlap, but that I wish that these movies hadn't tied so closely together. Because one of them is, does Bruce Wayne have to be Batman? Mm. And the other question is, does Gotham need a Batman? Right. And I feel like that's, the first movie is kind of, like, they're, they're, they're a little bit too conflated in, in the second movie mm-hmm. especially, and that's, uh, but also in the first movie, and that's kind of, uh, and it's funny because now we've come out and been mostly critical about what are, I think some of I think like I'll be Dark Knight is probably my favorite superhero movie of all time. Like I just mm, think yeah, it is yeah. phenomenal. I think Batman Begins is also, you know, it's funny. I think I like the first act of Batman Begins more than you do. The second act, I agree with you. I think it's fantastic. And at one point, as I was, we were kind of doing a live chat as we were watching it, um, and I I messaged you and I said, you know what? I think Batman Begins is a movie where 
there are choices in it that I disagree with, but I think the execution of it is almost flawless. Yeah. And then we got to the third act, and I was like, ah, okay, <laughs> yeah. well, actually, no. This, the, yeah. Um, uh, but so let, let's kind of uh, drill down a little bit deeper. What do you think of Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne Batman? I think he's fantastic. Um, yeah. You know, I still have a certain preference for Keaton, particularly in the very first movie. But mm-hmm. I do think Bale, like, looks like Bruce Wayne, looks like what I expect Bruce Wayne to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks like what I expect Batman to look like. I mean, I know he apparently, like, put on, like, 100 pounds of muscle in a few months going from The Machinist to Batman Begins, which can't be healthy. And, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know how you actually go about doing that. But, um, mm-hmm. you know... He um, he just he looks and feels like Bruce Wayne to me, and there's a lot of ways Bruce Wayne could look. Um, yeah, you know, um, I mean, I would cast Idris Elba as, <laughs> as Bruce Wayne. You know, I'm all for that. I mean, now he'd be on the older side, but like you know, there's there's a lot of you know, I can also easily see like an Asian Batman, but like just in terms of in the comics, like in the animated series, like mm-hmm. I feel like Christian Bale just totally sells me on. He is Bruce Wayne. And he is Batman, and um, he moves really well. Um, he just a little aside. He was trained for this in um, Wing Chun by Sifu Eric Orum, who's a student of Grandmaster William Chung, who was a disciple of Ip Man. So that's oh, just cool. a sort of callback to a, an episode we did a little while back. Um, yeah. Who also trained Robert Downey Jr. Apparently, um, for a bunch of things, and also kind of using Wing Chun as a. Um, uh, sort of way to help uh, Robert Downey Jr. work through his addictions. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, okay. well, so that's just a little aside so, that I like saw in looking things up. I was like, oh, I, I feel like I have to mention this. since we So just without Ip Man, Man, there's no MCU. It, Got it. Exactly. Okay. Cause out. Exactly. <laughs> or or um, uh, Nolan Dark Knight trilogy. So yeah. yeah, no, Christian Bale just, I think he does an outstanding job. I have no complaints except for in the Dark Knight when like, you know, I like that he's got his Bruce Wayne voice and then he's got his Batman voice in Batman Begins. I think he nailed it there. And then the yeah. Dark Knight, they're like, what if we make it even lower? And it's like, what are you, what are you, why, why? I, it was so, it hit me so much harder watching the two of them right back to Oh, back. yes. Because yeah, like I was like, Christian Bale's, I, I, I remember I had forgotten that the modulator isn't used in both because right. I remember thinking like, oh, wait, no. Bale's Batman voice is perfect. Yeah, yeah it is. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, they put the modulator on. Right. Yeah, I I think there's so much that I like. I think Christian Bale is very much my favorite live action. I I have an affection for the Michael Keaton, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I I think when we talked about it last time, the awkward Bruce Wayne is – it's kind of like it's a take on Bruce Wayne right. that doesn't feel wrong to me and I really enjoy – but this to me is much more the the Bruce Wayne. Like to me, this is my this is very much my Bruce Wayne. Yeah. You know, in terms of like, he's not awkward, but but he's able to he's able to pl- pull off the playboy role very, much very better. Well, yeah. Um, and he has those moments of awkwardness around. You know, he's clearly so desperate for Rachel's like some of those heartbreaking moments to me are when he is doing the like playing with the the European models and and buying the hotel. Right. And then Rachel sees him, yeah. and he's just like, "No, no, no, wait! This is—it's not me! Yeah, it's not like, me!" And of course, she's like, "Yeah, whatever, dude." She's like, "Sure, Bruce." Um, yeah, which to me is also kind of plays into my theory about how much like her being that connection to the pre times before his parents were killed really matters. For sure. Um, I also just like this is a small detail, but the this look of Batman is to me perfect. Like mm. 
Keaton is is good, but Keaton feels like he's wearing a costume that for some reason stops bullets. Um, and then we get Clooney with the nipples and, right, and all right, that, right. that I just think the less said about the better. Yeah. Um, and then we go all the way to Ben Affleck, where it just looks like he's wearing like a suit of medieval armor. <laughs> a suit of CGI. <laughs> yeah. Then I just have no idea how a, a physical person would move. Yeah. It. Yeah. And th- so to me, I feel like this is kind of the perfect middle ground of just like how I want Batman to look as well as, um, and we were talking about this before. It's not quite the detective work that I want because a lot of the detective work is more cool, figuring out cool tech than it is like getting inside people's heads. But I feel like this is the most live action Batman as the world's greatest detective that we get. And I really do appreciate that. There's a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's very gadget inspired, right? Which Mm -hmm. I feel like Batman is often a combination of that sort of like advanced tech uh, detective work with the like really understanding people and getting inside their heads and we don't get so much of the latter here but we really haven't right. gotten that much of it in any other live action either unfortunately um, I hope yeah. that's one thing that I most enjoy seeing in, in the new one um, yeah but yeah there is there is an element of detective work here that uh, that isn't so present in the you know the previous four or certainly not successfully in the later ones where you know he just keeps getting the wool pulled over his eyes yeah. Like there's one moment and this is in Dark Knight, but I think you see elements of this, but this one moment I think best captures it. Um there's a like there's a bullet that's connected to Joker that's been shot into a wall, it's been shattered, and he he basically like he he uses tech, but it's not he just says to like his friend, you know, uh Lucius Fox, get me a fingerprint. Right. He figures out this way of like recreating the bullet shot from all these different angles that will allow him to pull it and it's like He's using tech, but clearly Bruce Wayne is brilliant in his ability to figure out how to use tech to get the detective thing he wants. And I was like, okay, it's still not people skills, but it is you're showing me his actual brilliance and his ability to use the tech, not just that he's bought the best toys. And I really that I really wanted as part of Batman. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel the same way. Um, and I will now that you know you mention Lucius. Um, the relationship between Bruce and Lucius Fox and Alfred in the the first movie, especially, um, it just it really works for me. You know, it, yeah. it really comes together, and it it makes it. You know, if you're gonna have this Batman that doesn't have any Robin and doesn't have you know Batgirl or or Nightwing or or any like more further Bat family, I think having Alfred be, you know, complicit and be competent. And, mm-hmm. you know, involved more than, you know, some Alfreds are, right? Um, yeah. And having having Fox there. Um, you know, I, I love seeing Lucius Fox show up anywhere. I think he's a very important character. It's like the idea that, like, Bruce Wayne just has all these gadgets and we don't have any idea where they come from. That's one of the things that's sort of least plausible, I think, in... It's sort of not a plot hole, but it's just a, like, yeah, we're not going to bother to explain this at all. And, it, it's kind of part of the magical realism of the Burton universe. Right, you know? exactly. Like, we're just not going to ask questions. Yeah, it's just whatever. It's fine. Here, it's like okay, maybe it is extremely unlikely that there'd be this dude in the basement with, like, a tank and, you know, some uh, helicopter-type thing and, like, mm-hmm. you know, a $300,000 bodysuit. You know, but it's like, all right, at least you, you know, you kind of were like, yeah, yeah, this is how. And you gave, yeah. you know, someone like Morgan Freeman, 
you know, a role in the movie and, and you have Michael Caine in the movie and like, they just, the, I would say overall, like across the board, the acting is, is so good. Um, yeah. Really in the whole trilogy, yeah. but uh, you know, especially in, in Batman Begins. Yeah. And like, it, I, I think one of the best things about the Nolan verse is how those side characters are developed. Alfred, Lucius, and, and really also Jim Gordon. Yes. Um, Cause it, it's funny to me how much this is, one million percent my Jim Gordon. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, like, oh, I go back and watch the Jim, Tim Burton movies, and I was like, oh, wait, no, that's very different. Yeah, Gordon's, like, um, barely in the, the Burton movies. Yeah. Let's get into all the characters in a bit, but first let's kind of pull back and just talk about Gotham. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about kind of the gritty reality feel. Um, and it's funny. Today, I think gritty has become a real, real critique of, like, you know, stop thinking everything has to be edgy. I, I don't think it's that. I think it's just it just feels like... This feels like a real world, like, yeah, this is the kind of stuff that happens in the brokenness in our world. What's your take on, we'll kind of do the tone and feel of the movie, but I think so much of it starts with just Gotham itself. What's your take on this version of Gotham? I like it. You know, it, it feels to me like a real world place, you know, that's mm-hmm. like New York, but somehow bigger and kind of like New York in the 70s or early 80s or whatever. And, you know, the way the Daredevil uh, Netflix show shows Hell's Kitchen, you know, this Gotham, I feel, feels sort of similar to that. You know, you've, yeah. you have these very rich people. You have very poor people. You've got a lot of economic troubles. Um, it feels like a real place to me. It doesn't have that surreal feeling that the Burton Gotham mm-hmm. has. Um, and I can kind of go for either. You know, I think yeah. if you tried to go for the surreal Gotham with the Christian Bale version of Batman, I don't think it would really line up. You know, with these villains the way they are, I don't think it would line up the same way. Um, you know, there's really only... Well, actually, I guess Scarecrow's like a little over the top, but he's more... He feels like a person who could be a person in our world, you know? Yeah. And, and so I feel like this Gotham is kind of perfect for this movie or for this trilogy, you know? And I think yeah. it's fairly consistent throughout. I think it's sort of a good way to put it. I think it, it's kind of funny because we're, you know, the kind of idea on the whole series is like finding like our true one Batman. But I think in many ways, I feel like I'm finding that it, there isn't one. That I, I, I think there are kind of three definitive best takes on Batman. And that's Tim Burton's, um, the, the Kevin Conroy universe of the animated and this one. And it's, you know, I, we joked about this a little bit as we were talking uh there's recently a comment I saw online by someone saying, I think actually we talked about this in, the, in our last episode about the animated one, but I'll tr- repeat it. You know, someone saying like, well, but like, this is the version that is the truest to the Batman of the comics. Right. And like, there's 80 years of comics. Yeah. And I think for a long time, and Jessica Plummer and I have talked about this quite a lot um, in our series on the history of comic books, you know, Gotham had to be a very surreal, otherworldly place because you know, it was the 50s and 60s. You weren't supposed to talk about the real world as having all this brokenness and corruption and stuff like that. And I think especially in the 80s, like, that really worked. Like, the Tim Burton of it all. Mm-hmm. Today, I mean, granted, these movies are now, like, 20 years old, well, but still, like, especially today, or 15, yeah. Matthew, Seven, Matthew, you know, it's not 17 to, you know, less than 17, but okay. We'll, we'll, yeah. Exactly, exactly. 17 to 10. Um, you know, I, I'm recording this on a day when a police officer in my own city who shot an unarmed black man for no legit reason, except that she was trying to get her taser was just sentenced to 16 months in prison. Like I want a story about police corruption. I want a story about like the whole system being fixed. And 
you know, something I, th- I think we've talked about a bunch on this podcast is the idea of what do you do with a story that really made sense in a particular time and place, and now maybe you need to adapt it somewhat. I don't think Nolan came up with this. I think a lot of comic book authors did this, and Nolan's kind of playing off that. But to me, this is a great example of taking a story that's written in the 1930s and 40s and then really comes into its own in the 50s and 60s and saying, all right, what does it mean to retell it in the 90s, the 2000s, and and beyond? Yeah, this Gotham and this take on Batman reminds me a little bit of the Sherlock series with Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, I can see that. You know, where... I feel like this isn't the Gotham that I'm used to in terms of most of the the Batman stories, right? Most Mm -hmm. of which were were older and generally have this kind of like time out of time feel. I feel like this doesn't have so much of that time out of time, like I'm not sure what year it is kind of feel that a lot of things like the Gotham TV show for live action, the Burton movies, you know, and and lots of the animated stuff. Um, you know, that, cell phones exist and the men aren't all wearing hats. Right, exactly. You know, which is true in almost every other Batman yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like Sherlock it was a is a show that like, you know, Sherlock Holmes is very much thought of as being a man of his era, right? We think right. of like all of the the look of London then, but then they take it and make it modern and um and then everyone in the series ends up in the MCU. But, <laughs> and the Hobbit. But uh <laughs> But yeah, I I appreciate this take, you know, and I think it's, I I feel, I don't really feel the need to rank them, you know, versus each Mm -hmm. other. It's just like, yeah, that's a good take. This is another good take. And um, I'd like to see something a little more different out of the Batman. You know, I I feel like I kind of hope it is a little bit more back into the sort of surreal feeling um, and isn't quite so much like these movies, because I feel like these movies were done wonderfully you know it's a great trilogy yeah. and you don't have to do it exactly the same way again um yeah yeah like i think a lot of times what you know i haven't talked about that i like superhero movies because they are um you know they hold up a mirror to our world and it's often a like okay what if this crazy set of circumstances but they're still dealing with a similar question you know and like star trek is a great example of like the actual stuff they're dealing with on star trek I have no concept for. It's about space and aliens and light speed travel right. and warp speed and all this kind of stuff. But the concepts they're dealing with about like, what do you do when you experience injustice in a culture that's not your own? Like, those are questions I can relate to. But it's because it's metaphor. This feels like it's not metaphor in the slightest. It's just actual our own. Yeah, world, yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't think it's coincidence, actually, that I love this so much. And also, I love the Netflix MCU so mm-hmm. much, you know, because to me, they're daredevil is also very much a like okay the echolocation that he has is uh, kind of pushing the bonds of reality but otherwise like that's 100 percent just our own real world right you know exactly. the corruption the cops the the fighting the system yeah absolutely i mean I, i'll just mm-hmm. co-sign that yeah so we've been kind of dancing around this to, to me but i want to kind of just dive into more about the theme of this because i think it, it is very much why i love these movies so much because and it, uh, I kind of have a similar conversation recently because I was explaining to why I love Falcon and the Winter Soldier so much. It's like, uh, to me, it's the best MCU thing that came out in 2021 for the same reason. I think if there is one fundamental theme of the Nolan verse, it, it is this question of a very real world question of what do you do when the justice system is broken? You mm-hmm. know, and to what extent do you go outside of the system? And are you therefore making it worse or are you making it better or is it, is it a necessary evil 
or is it a way to help fix things? Um, what's your kind of feeling about the way that that is? Because to me, that is a very much a Batman question. Batman has always felt to me as he is the only hero who really wrestles with the fact that what he is doing is fundamentally illegal. Mm -hmm. He's not Superman, who the president puts his arm on and says, thank God you're here. Right. Everything he's doing is outside the law, and he really wrestles with the morality and the, like, should that happen? What, what's kind of your feel on that? Like, first of all, do you, do you agree that that's a good way of summarizing, like, the, the overall tone of this? And for you, how does that feel as a, a tone of a Batman movie? Yeah, I think that's... Um... That's what I would say is overall the tone, or not the tone, but I think the theme is a, is a better yeah. word for it. But I, I think that's the theme of this series, really. Uh, you know, aside from, there's the personal question, like, does Bruce Wayne need to be Batman? And I feel like Batman Begins is a little bit more about that. And then mm -hmm. The Dark Knight is more about, does Gotham need Bruce Wayne to right. be Batman, basically, right? Um, but... You know, there is stuff about going outside the law or whatever, like when <laughs> – and it's – going outside of the law in order to protect the law is like fundamentally sort of hypocritical, right? Yeah. And the, But the question is like, well, what's the purpose of the law? Like, you know, is the idea to do something um, – to try and make the world better. And this is just kind of like a way at getting at that. And then when you go outside the law to try it, are you kind of like trying to act within the spirit of the law? And I think it always just ends up to like this subjective interpretation. Like, you know, right. how do you want the world to be, you know, and a set of laws is one way of trying to get the world to be more like that. Doesn't always work out. Like you put something right. in writing and then you're like, Oh, but, uh, this isn't how it's going. Right. Um, you know, the the idea of Batman being this hero in this very broken, with this very broken criminal justice system, um, you know, which is more broken than our own, which is yeah. almost in some ways like hard to imagine, you know. Um, I mean, I, th I think the whole thing is, hmm. Like, it's, it's hard to get into this without talking about, like, how we feel about, like, the actual justice system that really exists, yeah. right? But the idea of, like, locking a bunch of people up, it's like, hmm, well, I don't know. Is that really the best way to solve the problem? I do like that this, like, touches on, like, that the Waynes kind of try to, to make social change, right? They try to use their name yeah. and their power and their money to try and make positive social, social change and, and help the people. And that that is theoretically a way of, like, reducing crime. And it, it's worked pretty well throughout history. To me, that is so essential, especially because, like, I think that's often one of the critiques that's made about Batman. Mm -hmm. And often it's kind of in a joking way and sometimes it's a serious way of, like, look, if if he has all these billions of dollars, the best way to – I'm saying this is the way the meme often mm -hmm. goes. Mm -hmm. is like he shouldn't spend his money beating up poor people. He should spend his money helping those people. Right. And I think that is a valid critique. And I think there's to some extent, like, if you really push hard on that, maybe the whole Batman story doesn't exist – but I think if if the Batman story is going to exist, I at least want to know that, like, Bruce Wayne is also doing all of those other things. And here they don't show quite as much about Bruce doing it himself. It's more about, like, his family did mm -hmm. it. But at least I think it's 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 continuing that idea. I'll say the Batman the Animated Series, I think, is one of the best of that because there's so much about him with the orphanages and, like, helping kids yeah. and, you know, rehabilitation. Uh, backing up a second, though, also, I think I – think I, <laughs> I saw The Dark Knight earlier today. I saw Batman Begins two days ago, and so that movie is so much on my mind because it's just so good. But but pulling it more to the kind of Batman Begins of it all, I, I think you're right. It's not as much about the, like, um, 
can you fix the law by breaking the law? But it's about, I think, another very important part of that question, which is, you know, what's the end goal? Is it, in broad terms, the justice or vengeance? And, and is it the, like, is the goal to prevent crime? Is it the goal to stop people doing crime? Or is it the goal to punish the criminals? Right. Um, and we'll get into this particular take of Raj al Ghul and the League of Shadows in a bit, or the League of Assassins. That's mm -hmm. part of the point. But just in terms of that question, what do you think of the way... Like, Batman Begins sets up this very interesting question of Batman wants to, to stop crime. He clearly wants to, like, work out his issues by punching criminals. But when he's when he, he is confronted with Liam Neeson's character, um, who is like, yeah, cool, so let's kill all the criminals. Let's kill all the people in the city that has all the criminals. He's like, whoa, no, 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 that's too far. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think they kind of want different things, right? right. Like, the, the League of shadows and you know raz al ghul in in this mm -hmm. right which is the league of assassins and Ra's al ghul in other media um right i'm not even going to call him raz al ghul i'm going to call him ducard because yeah. i have my own th like what we know he's not ducard because then he said he was later he's like oh no i, I was raz al ghul it's like well why, why should i believe you now <laughs> yeah <laughs> that you were lying I, before I, among other things, because then it's like a white guy is teaching another white guy about ninjas, and there's all these like nameless, faceless ninjas who are just puppets. Of, like that's yeah. There's a whole. There's thing. a lot of ways that that part of the story gets very problematic. There's, but yeah, let's just focus thing. on him as Ducard because it's also not the Rajah Ghul story, right? Right. Or the Rajah Ghul story. So you know, his view, which is apparently the League of Shadows' view, is like when a civilization passes a certain point, you destroy it, right? And Bruce is like. No, <laughs> I want to make it better. I want to bring it back to some, you know, maybe mythical golden age that maybe never existed, right? But I want to improve things. And so those are those are fundamentally different goals, right? Right. Um, and in in some, you know, some of the other fiction, uh, Ra's al Ghul is like more of an eco-terrorist who's like, there's too many humans, we need to kill a bunch of them so there's not so many humans. Right. I can get more on board with that, actually, than, oh, this city's corrupt, let's destroy the whole city. Like, right. Um, yeah, in this, it's much more um, the phantasm, you know, from the Mask of the Phantasm. Right. It's that same question of, like, how far do you go, as well as how much, it, it's almost, it, like, Ducard is somewhat the phantasm, but also somewhat the punisher oh, in terms of it's yeah. just like, you know, I am angry about the death of my wife and my family. I want to punish the people who did this. Right. Yeah. And and so, you know, I I I, I like the uh, first of all, the, the a lot of the training is excellent. Right. The cinematography mm -hmm. there, um, I think it's wonderful. Um, the whole thing where the, there's like doing the, the ninja hide and seek like. You know, he's the test thing at the end. Um, I thought that mm -hmm. was cool. That was actually maybe the moment in the whole movie that showed kind of Bruce Wayne's cleverness and resourcefulness the most. Yeah. And sort I of, so. you know, in a way, like sort of where he becomes Batman, where he like slices that he gets cut on the arm. So then he's like, oh, I'll cut these other two dudes on the arm and then he'll think that's me. And then I'll, right. you know, sneak in behind him. Um Right at the end of that, though, Descartes is like, well, in order to become a member and to lead all these ninjas to go um, destroy Gotham, and Bruce is like, wait, what? <laughs> it's like, you have to kill <laughs> this guy. And, you know, I think that's a very, that's like one of those hypotheticals, right? That feels very contrived, mm -hmm. but it's also, it, it feels like it gets to the heart of like, does Batman kill? Like, why or why not? 
Um, I feel like it's undercut a little bit by then him blowing up the entire building with everyone in it, <laughs> accidentally killing who he thought was Ra's al Ghul, right? Like, right. The, mm, mm, <laughs> you know, like, like that guy probably yeah. died. I Yeah, and that's also very true. I I think there's an important distinction that, like, we've talked about before that it's always annoying that, that um, you know, I hate when things conflate I don't want to kill people with I don't want to murder. Right. Because to me, there's a fundamental difference between in self-defense and in the attempt to stop you from doing terrible things, the only way to do that was to use lethal force. I appreciate the desire to avoid lethal force as much as possible, but to me, that is very, very, very different than I am going to, as an act of punitive justice, which I think is a misnomer in terms, mm-hmm. but it's the best way to describe it, uh, do violence to a person who is currently helpless and in no danger to anyone because they have done something terrible in the past, and I think, therefore, they deserve to die. Right. And and so to me, it's like, it's not, it doesn't bother me as much, but you are also right that it's like, I wish there was some acknowledgement, of, like, you know, of him being like, I, I hated that I had to do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, but certainly he should have rescued the guy he didn't want to kill. Right, right, like, right. That would have been right, nice, too. exactly. Like, and and that's the thing. I feel like it undermines it. I don't feel like it a hundred percent negates it. But mm-hmm. you know, similarly, the the chase where he's being chased by all the cops, like that. Also, like he rams a bunch of cars with people in them, or like drives over them, or you know. And at the end, you know, when he gets back, Alfred's like, "It's a miracle no one was killed." It's like, yeah, it is. Like, what are you doing, bats? You know, and yeah. and so some of those things where I think they just that's sort of they wrote themselves into that corner and then didn't really I feel like they didn't worry about that too much. And yeah. I feel like the first time I saw the movie, I probably didn't worry about it too much. But when I thought when I then saw it later again and again, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I mean, to me, it's the, it's the, you know, daredevil hitting people in the head with iron pipes that we keep bringing sure. up. You know, it's that like sure. the, they want to tell us that this person isn't using lethal force, but they're doing a lot of things that like the possibility of death is very high. And when you do it that often, the numbers game, someone's going to die in one of those car right, crashes. Right. Like Gotham is not paying that much for airbags in that many car cop cars. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, so, so that's, that to me kind of undercuts that a little bit. And then at the end when he's, you know, like, you know, I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. And it's like, that to me is where it goes a little bit from being like very much like kind of my Batman to like, mm, not quite, you know, yeah. it feels not quite, it feels just a little off. Um, and, and so that's like kind of what I like least I'd say about, um, mm-hmm. you know, and there's, there's a couple things that are more sort of like something else, but in terms yeah. of the actual story itself, those are the parts where I'm like, so close, you know, and like the yeah. look and the feel and the tone and like, I totally find him convincing as Batman, but it's like, that's not exactly what I'd want Batman to do. Like I'd want Batman to try and save him and then he falls off and dies. There's this thing about movies, comic book movies, particularly killing their villains mm-hmm. in a way that, um, comics and, uh, TV shows don't in the same way. And I think it's because when you have these serials, like, and this is like, this might even be where the idea of Batman not killing people came from originally. It was probably the comics code or something. I don't know. But yeah. like a sort of convenience of that is like, 
Well, if you don't kill your villains, you don't have to keep, you don't have make, to keep creating yeah, new you ones. Don't have yeah. to make a new one every single episode, you know. Yeah. So they're just like, "Oh, we see this guy. Yeah, we'll kill him off now. Yeah, we'll kill that one off too. You know, ah, we'll yeah. save the Joker. We'll use him in movie three. Ah, fuck, he died. Are you serious? <laughs> Are you serious? Like, why? Which so we're not serious? trying to make light of Heath Ledger's death, no. but also, yes, no, that is not. the exact issue with the, the thinking there. I mean, yeah, I mean, to me, like the MCU, especially, like. There's so many great villains from like, why did you kill this person off? You know, yeah. Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger, especially. Right, right. But yeah, no, I, I, I think I totally disagree with that. I, I really don't like that he just lets Dukat die. Um, although Liam Neeson has now gotten very good at stopping and meditating when he's about to face death. Um, and <laughs> yeah, he didn't yeah, know yeah. Darth, you know, yeah. but it's, it's such a perfect little thing. He didn't know Darth Maul was going to kill him, but, um, uh, and I do th- I, like. There's a scene at the very end of The Dark Knight where Joker is just falling. And Batman saves him, mm-hmm. and Joker's kind of like, you know, why'd you save me? And I do feel like that felt like a, like, okay, yeah, we shouldn't have had him let Dukat die like that. Right. We're going to kind of fix that. Um, I also just got to say, I agree with you. Let's just call him Ducard because he, he is not Rachel Ghoul, mm-hmm. but whoever the hell he is, Liam Neeson is fantastic in this movie, and I really love his part. Absolutely. Um... Like, yeah, I think in terms of like the Batman canon, my two biggest mm-hmm. or mythos or whatever, like the two biggest complaints I'd have in Batman Begins are that, you know, there's a lot of characters to choose from and they're like, yeah, Rachel Dawes. I'm like, okay, you know, and then here they take Rachel Cole and they give us Liam Neeson. Both of those characters I think are fantastic in this movie. Yeah. Um, but like, I feel like you have... I'm I'm torn though because there's spots where they yeah. take you know where they take a known character and then they make them kind of very much not what we generally recognize as that character right and it's like right. is it better to just make a new character or is it better to do some totally different take on a pre-existing character I don't know it's a choice they did one of each in this one and yeah that sort of is what makes me feel like these movies are coherent that's it's a world unto itself. Um, but it's not exactly, you know, we'll, you know, that question yeah. that we'll, we'll get to later. Like, I definitely think like, I, I think Rachel Dawes is perfect again, because it, it's kind of the, like, we're introducing a new element that you don't often see yeah. in the Batman yeah. stories. And so like, I was about to say like, cause you couldn't have like Selena Kyle as his best friend, but, like, <laughs> but... You do, but, in, but even there in Gotham, he yeah. meets her after his parents have sure, died, yeah, yeah. which I think is really the, the key part. Yeah. There. It's not somebody who's known literally I, his whole life. I will say in a little bit in their defense with Rachel Ghoul, I was someone who, like, I thought I knew the Batman story pretty well. I'd seen some of it. I had no idea who that character was going in. Um, and so in some ways, I think it's kind of that – it's the same question you always get into of, like, how much are you saying it for the the people who really know the lore mm-hmm. versus the people who are the common fans? Because I feel like if I never learned about Rachel Ghoul, I'd be like, yeah, this is a great story. Eh, the white guy being the most ninja of ninjas I don't love, but the rest of it, like, right. is great. But yeah, knowing now Rachel Gould's story, I'm sort of like, why don't you just let him be his own thing? That being said, though, I do think his character is so well done because what I get from it is that, you know, because he he tells the story about, like, he first of all, he doesn't make clear until the end how different he is than Bruce in terms of their goals. Right. But at first he feels, he makes Bruce feel like this is exactly what I've been looking for, especially when he says lines like, you know, vengeance was the cure to my anger. Mm. Because it, I like I think like, in some ways, I think that's kind of a beautiful way of looking at the story is like part of why maybe Batman has to always be Batman is because 
he never can fully get over his feelings about what happened to his parents. Right. And Ducat is like, no, it's easy. Like, I killed the people and, and it was better. <laughs> All better. And, and now like, I just want to destroy cities. I don't, yeah, clearly, I don't think that's psychological health, as I would, <laughs> you know, Frank Castle, I think, is also not doing, like, great. But, like, the way he does that, or, like, there's a great line about, um, criminals thrive on the indulgence of society's understanding. Right. And I fundamentally disagree with that idea. You know, I want us to be more understanding. I want more rehab, not punishment. I want more, you know, you know, restorative, not retributive justice. But if you ever needed a way to explain why people are drawn to, rest- to retributive justice and why, and like, even like, you know, the most leftist of left, like I, I, even myself, like I hate the criminal justice system. I think prison is awful. I don't want people in prisons. The fact that Kim Potter will only spend 16 months in prison for killing Duante, da- for killing Duante Wright, I found absolutely outrageous. You know, I want her to be in prison for far longer. And then I'm like, wait a minute, but prison's terrible. Like, I shouldn't want... And all my point is I'm just saying, like, I feel like what Liam Neeson's character is speaking to, it is very understandable. It is very relatable as as to why why that would be so tempting to to Bruce Wayne until he's able to, like, see just how far it goes and step back from the abyss. Yeah, I think it's a very well-expressed, very real viewpoint that I disagree with, you know, and I think the way you make a good story a lot of the time, particularly if it's some sort of action story is you have characters who very effectively express a viewpoint that hopefully a lot of the audience disagree with, disagrees with, maybe sympathizes with and maybe feels a little torn. Right. And they see that as like a real question, you know, and, um, but I think he's very convincing as being that guy who totally believes that and um, has, you know, gone full force along with it. Yeah. There's one other thing that, that League of Shadows also really develops, and, and this movie I think really focuses on. Like in, in the Michael Keaton Batmans, we talked about how Michael Keaton clearly used, like, he, it's almost a horror movie the first time we see him. Oh, like, and you, yeah. under, you sympathize with the criminals who are terrifying. Mm-hmm. But they just kind of do it. They don't talk about it. In this movie, they really talk about explicitly this idea of, like, you need to be a force of terror to criminals. The criminals need to be afraid of you. Um, and there's a great joke about, like, you might have taken the theatricality part a little bit too literally. Right. Um, but what, what's your kind of feeling about that, about the way that particular theme is played up in this movie? The first scene where we see Batman, you know, being Batman, is just straight mm-hmm. up a horror movie. Scene, yeah, right? those could be teenagers getting killed by a slasher. Exactly, you know? and, like, and they're not getting killed, but they're disappearing, and you know, one by one, and they're all getting freaked out, and it's it's just perfect. You know, in in the Tim yeah. Burton movie, they sh- showed us that also. I think in the first yeah. right right in the beginning, um, but here I feel like it was done even better. And mm-hmm. um, the fact that it was named ahead of time, like this is where he got that idea. This is why he takes that approach. Um, I, right. That's definitely one of my favorite parts of the movie. I think it's just so well done. Yeah. And especially the way it's tied into that in order to do that, he has to conquer his fear himself. Right. You know, I mean, like, this movie is a great illustration of why, like, this character should be named the man without fear and Daredevil, <laughs> the guy who uses sonar echolocation yeah, yeah, yeah. like should a bat. Maybe he should be Batman. <laughs> but, like, that scene of, you know... I think we have some issues with the flashbacks to the past, especially the fact that, like, 
Apparently Thomas Wayne was this incredible parent and Martha gave birth to him and then just looked pretty and never had anything to do she, she with had, his raising. She had one and a half lines. <laughs> the one was like, are you feeling okay, Bruce? Or like, what's wrong, Bruce? And then the next one's like, no! Yeah, you know? no, I, it, oh. it's a, I love I mean, how much they emphasize how good his parents were. Yeah. But, but even putting that aside... They really get you to understand why he has this childhood fear of bats. Like, I think that's another traumatic experience. I'd be terrified of bats if that happened to me when I was seven or eight years old. And so the scene where he overcomes that, where he's down in the, the oh, yes. underneath the Southeast Foundation, and he stands in the midst of the bats with this, like, soaring music. Yeah. It's like, it's so evocative. Like, that's just movie making at its best. I love that scene. Absolutely, yeah. That There's a lot of scenes in this movie that are just, like perfectly done like you can just take that scene and and just it the context makes it even better but like you don't even necessarily need the context right even taking out of context it's just such perfect movie making really in terms of execution the sword fight on the ice Mm. is just so like it it just looks beautiful and it's perfect but also it's such a great metaphor of him trying to find solid ground while everything around him is changing yes. and the whole thing about your mind, your location. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I, th- I think it's kind of enough about the theme and Gotham and all that. Let- let's get back into the, some of the side characters. Um, we-, we started on Alfred and uh, Lucius Fox. What, this is my Alfred. I think this is my favorite version mm. of Alfred. What do you think about Michael Caine as Alfred? Yeah. Um, he feels perfect. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to think of a better Alfred, and I can't. I actually love the Alfred in Gotham as well. Um, yeah. And I feel like these those two Alfreds are compatible. Mm-hmm. And then also there's a show called Pennyworth that I've started watching. Um, and actually I completed watching two seasons in like a week. So yeah. uh, it does a lot of stuff I really hate. But there's a lot of great stuff as <laughs> not well. My right, right. Well, yeah. you, you know, okay. Not my Thomas Wayne. Not my Thomas Wayne. Wait until you... You know, you get through, I don't okay, know, but, but yeah, it, it definitely, that show doesn't feel like it totally lines up with my vision of Thomas Wayne and Martha, whatever, whoever, but like, um, that shows like a younger Alfred that I'm like, I could see how that guy became this guy, you know, yeah. became this, um, this Alfred. And yeah, I, I really enjoy Michael Caine as Alfred. I mean, I think he's just, he's a great actor in the first place, but also, yeah. He's got like a mix of, you know, the dry humor with like compassion. Um, there are a couple spots where I feel like, mm, I feel like they're kind of just trying to manufacture some conflict and we really don't need that. I love how right away in the beginning, how supportive he is, you know, of yeah. this really kind of wacky idea. Um, and, you know, I think seeing more of him with young Bruce, like, the beginning the, with the flashbacks and everything, I feel like mm-hmm. on the one hand, I wanted more of that, but I don't necessarily want more time of that. I just kind of want a little bit more substance maybe. Like, I think you could do this movie in a way that ends, and, th- and this might be totally crazy. I think you could do this movie in a way that ends with him destroying that house in the mountains in, you know, with Dukat. Oh, right. Yeah, like, sure. Just do a lot yeah. more of the backstory and leading to that. And then it's like him you know, landing with Mike, with, with, uh, uh, Alfred on the plane and being like, yeah, let's, let's see about this. And him like, you know, looking at a bat and then just cut to the credits. You know? Right. Exactly. I mean, you probably wouldn't get as many Lego sets out of it, but, also true. Also true. <laughs> but I could, maybe this was before they were even doing that. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, they, I, I agree. I, I think 
you know, it, it's sort of like, hmm, I kind of almost want like a series of that, you know, and, and it does feel like in a movie, I I understand kind of where they were torn here and there. And like they already made a right. movie that was over two hours long, which I think is can be a challenge to to have a tight movie that exceeds two hours. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, there's just like some things in the beginning that like I, I would maybe shift a bit, but it's it's more because I want more of Alfred, you know, and I wouldn't mind seeing yeah. like Lucius Fox be a character in the beginning. Like, I don't know, was he like at a scene? Was he like at the funeral or something? I'm trying to remember. Did I don't they remember show the seeing funeral? that. Like um, they did, right? It, yeah, they showed the funeral yeah. briefly because they show the scene with the the guy who, you know, the CEO. Oh, yeah, 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 um, that dude. Who also, I just, again, one more part of it. Like, it, it, in some ways, it's funny if we think about how many antagonists he's dealing with in sure, this movie, yeah. you know? And I feel like the, there's sometimes where you feel like a movie just goes a little bit too deep into wanting it to all be a big plot. Right. And I feel like if the people who, I forget the guy's name, but if, like, the CEO of Wayne Industries was actually, like, working with the League of Shadows the whole mm. time... Then I would have been like, ah, that's just too much. So I, I like that it's not that. Yeah. That it is just pure corporate greed that they work with the army to create this microwave machine. Yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, makes no yeah, sense that, whatsoever. Yeah, the whole scene yeah, is... Yeah. <laughs> but putting that aside. Um, uh, but, like, the fact that it's not. It's just that he, it's just greed and then the League of Shadows is able to take advantage mm-hmm. of that. Like, I really... I, I think that's the kind of subtlety in the movie. That, that it's, just, it's that, you know, it's the punch you don't throw. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think... There, there are a lot of antagonists. I mean, there's, you know, you, you've got. I, I saw some, something about like four corner opposition storytelling or whatever. There's some uh, YouTube video on it. If if you look up like Batman Begins four corner opposition, you'd probably find it. Uh, maybe we'll put okay. it in the show notes. But it, you know, there's there's Batman, there's Ducard, there's Scarecrow, and there's um, Falcone, right? Yeah. But like, then there's also like. The broken system, and there's also, you know, the um, I think is it Rutger Hauer playing that character? That sounds right. Yeah. So. Um, you know, there's the the CEO or the the interim CEO or whatever, you know. Um, and so there's there there are like a lot of things that he's struggling against, and um, I I do think though like having Alfred there and having Lucius there makes it feel more more plausible i think and especially mm-hmm. with these two guys being like so sharp and competent you know yeah like one thing i really love about uh alfred you, you talked about how supportive he is you know you often see especially more recently the parental figure who's just like look it's not that i i might think like i want you to go become a doctor or a, a whatever but honestly, I just want you to care about something and I'm going to support you whatever you do, right. even if it's kind of wacky and off the wall. That's kind of Alfred, where Alfred's like, look, I want you to go to Princeton. I want you to find a, a relationship. I want you to find something that makes you happy. Dressing up like a bat and baiting up criminals makes you happy? Okay, it's better than you running around, you know, not knowing what the hell you're doing with your life. So sure, I'm here Right, sure. You know? Well, okay, we'll go with that for now. Yeah. Uh, we can go so much deeper on them. We've, we, uh, speaking of long, this is going to be a pretty long episode. Uh, we haven't even touched on, I think, one of the best of the like supporting characters. And in many ways, a very different take than most other Batman stories up to this point, at least on screen. But one that I, I'm very fond of, I think you're very fond of, uh, Jim Gordon. Yeah. Uh, what's your take on this version of Gordon? I really like Gordon starting out as like a sergeant and then he becomes a lieutenant and he's kind of like you know, the one cop that Batman finds who he thinks he can trust. 
And, um, you know, there's a lot of Batman stories where just like kind of the police are fine and, and Batman's basically like a cop that, you know, Gordon calls up on a red phone when like they need some right. help with some supervillain. Um, I like that that's not this Gordon. You know, I like that this Gordon isn't sure if he can trust Batman at first, you know, and Batman's not sure who else he can trust besides Gordon. And then that kind of plays through. I think, I think it's hard to talk too much about Gordon um, without talking about the dark Knight. I feel like that's really where yes. he becomes um, really a, a, a principal character, right here. He's mm-hmm. an important supporting character, I think, you know, in Batman begins, but I feel like in the dark Knight he really um, becomes this, this character who who gets developed through three movies in a way that Gordon hadn't at all been developed in, uh, yeah. certainly not in the um, what's it called um, in the you know the the first four movies and. Yeah in a way that then sort of led to the Gotham TV show where you kind of got even deeper into him in a way that, you know, you only can in a series of, of, you know, in, in a many episode series, not a three movie trilogy. Um, and you know, there've been some comics that, that develop him more. There've been, um, some of the animated things that do, but sometimes he's kind of just a little generic. Um, I do think Mm -hmm. he has more personality in the, uh, animated series than he does like in, um, you know, the Burton or Schumacher films. Yeah. But this this feels yeah, like I, a real character and a real person. Yeah, I think it feels like a real person. I think it's I, I would say like in Batman Begins, he doesn't you're right, he doesn't get much character development, but his character is used to develop very important parts of Batman's character. Yes. You know, in terms of like, first of all, this idea of like that to reform the system you, you need to be working on the outside, but you also have to have someone on the inside, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's a really interesting dynamic we kind of talked about. But also this idea of trusting people, you know? And it, it's it, it's kind of funny given that we just talked about um, the Lego Batman movie where the whole thing is like, can he learn to trust someone? Right. In this, like, you know, Batman like quickly realizes like not only does he need Gordon overall, but like when, he, we, when the, the idea is to stop the train, he's like, I- I'm going to fight. But, like, you're going to take the Batmobile. Right. You're going to stop the model rail. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, and, and I really love that. I love that this is a Bruce Wayne who's willing to partner with people, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and, and it, it feels, like, believable to me, you know, that I, I feel like we get enough of Gordon. Batman knows enough about Gordon that it, it feels like, yeah, I think he would do that. You know, he... And and that's, I mean, you know, we talked about the detective work not having a lot of sort of people intuitions, but I think that does speak to like, yeah, being able to find sort of like the one good cop or one of the yeah. few, right? Um, I, I mean, he finds the one good cop, he finds the one good DA, and he finds the one good like executive at his company. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I, I think that does actually speak to his kind of under, being able to understand people and, and sort of predict um, what, how people might respond in, in different situations. Uh, I do think there was a really interesting um, moment early on when that guy who feels like it's Harvey Bullock but isn't Harvey Bullock right. um, yeah. <laughs> says to him, you know, uh, you know, do you want to taste? And he's like, no. You know, and he's like, you know, it would make the rest oh, of so us hard, feel yeah. better. And he's like, I'm not a rat. And it's like, oh. You know, like that there is this like that you – and I think this is a real thing, right? In in real yeah, police forces, is that 
you know, the idea that that would be like unethical to like tell on your, your fellow officers and that like you're all kind of on the same side, which like theoretically you should be on the same side, but that side should be against corrupt cops also, obviously, but it often isn't, right? And so yeah. that that sort of... I think the fact that a line like that could just go through so smoothly without really getting much comment at the time, I imagine. Um, I don't know. I wasn't really reading reviews in 2005, but... Um, yeah, I, I mean, ACAB wasn't a phrase that right. anyone had heard at the time. You yeah. know, And I think, like, at, at that point, like, I mean, yes, there were certainly communities, especially non-white ones, that were very aware of... I mean, this, you know, this is after Rodney King. Police brutality is very much a thing. Yeah. 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 But I think we're still talking at that point, at least most of us, that we shouldn't have been, but a lot of us were talking about the bad cops. How do we deal with the bad right. cops instead of this idea of... The, and that today, I think, we'd look at that I'm not a rat and say, oh, so Jim Gordon really is the problem. You know, but I, I think you're right. It's that kind of like you have to kind of remember that as as written at the time and place that it's written. That it because today it's like oh, oh no, you should not say that. Right. But like, yeah. You know. Yeah, and it's like you know theoretically he could just be saying that and like actually not not be a rat. But like I I felt like the character believed that you know, and then yeah. then the next episode uh the dark knight when when um harvey talks harvey dent talks about being um having been in ia right uh internal mm, affairs yeah. not iatsi as they say all the words um yeah um but like that kind of is like oh i guess gordon wasn't really you know he wasn't ratting on people you know he was on on cops he was like trying to put away the quote-unquote bad guys which were the ones paying off the cops and you know uh, maybe maybe you could do both but okay yeah you know. that'd be nice that would be nice um all right so i think that that we've covered a lot of things um i was gonna maybe have us talk about uh joker and harvey dent but i think we, we've said so much of we're, 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 we've gone so long i don't want to kind of start a whole new thing so i'm not gonna do too much about joker and harvey dent we'll probably do another one on the dark knight because it's just it's such a good movie so much to talk about um is there any other kind of last points about this that you want to bring up or that we haven't gotten really got a chance to dive into? Yeah. Um, just like in terms of like, I kind of don't like always want to talk about it, but like, I do feel like these movies, you know, I just viewed them as they were, but like in terms of where Hollywood was in 2005, 2008, 2012, in terms of like representation, mm-hmm. like Rachel Dawes is basically a Smurfette, right? I'm pretty sure she's the only female character with like more than two lines in the yeah, first, I, I mean, I know there's like a judge who like has maybe three lines in the dark Knight, but like, there's really, really a dearth of female characters. Um, and it's not like the Batman mythos lacks female characters. Sure. There's not as many as there are male characters, but it's like, you know, that's just, that was just like a thing. And it was a very, very common thing. And it's still a thing sometimes, but it's a thing much less than it used to be. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, and then in terms of like, Asian representation, like you've got, um, you know, you've got Rachel Ghoul, who, I mean, it has a complicated and varied history, but often is like actually a descendant of Chinese nomads in Northern Africa. And here he's like right. Irish, you know, with like a French name. Yeah. So, you know, and like running a bunch of like nameless, faceless, you know, ninjas and like Bruce, and, and they specifically they keep talking about learning ninjutsu. Right, like it's a very exactly. like appropriationist. Like, Argh. yeah, I, I mean, it's not like you can't be a white guy and teach ninjutsu, but like you probably shouldn't only have 
nameless, faceless Asian people in your movie who are getting beat up and whatever, right? And then the second movie, the only Asian dude is like the accountant who says he's really good with computations or whatever, uh, calculations. And then like in the third movie, I guess you kind of have Talia, but like then Bane, you know, is played by... Tom Hardy, who I think does a fantastic job of Bane, of a really very, very different Bane, kind of more of a Darth Bane, actually. But, mm-hmm. um, but you know, who often is generally more like Latin American background, you know, which Tom Hardy's not. And so just in ter- like, I think it's still possible to just enjoy the movies on their own. And I- there's not a ton of like really bad representation, like negative representation, but it does feel like there's very very big lack of, of broad representation, yeah. you know? You know, and I think, like, I mean, I remember people were upset that Morgan Freeman, a black, a black, people were upset that a black actor, Morgan Freeman, was Lucius Fox, you know? And so it's, it's, it's one of those both, like, the movie was pushing in it in its time, but also, but I don't want to excuse that, that, yeah, like, it also could have been, even for its time, so much better. Right, yeah, exactly. the second movie as well. Yeah, and that, that's you just know? sort of, just a thing to note, um, yeah. Also, like, this was called a reboot, and I've, I've come to really not like the term. Like, yeah. because the term reboot to me feels like it's, like, the official new whatever. And it's like, I don't care. This is a new thing. It's a new story. Cool. Great. You know? You don't have to call it a reboot. It's what it is. The, the new The Batman is its own thing, you know? Yeah, I, th- I think we were talking about this some last time in, in terms of animation, that one reason we like animation is that you can have... There's all these different versions exactly. of, like, anime, you know, like... In, we, we, there's a Joker with um, there's like a Rasta. Uh, there, there's like a Caribbean Joker with mm-hmm. like dreadlocks and a, a Caribbean accent and a, and a black black voice actor. And there's um, you know, so many different perspectives. And I I, I I like that from that idea of like there doesn't have to be one true Batman, you know. And I, I think it's one of the reasons why I'm gonna like Robert Pat. I I I'm happy going into the Robert Pattinson version because I don't have a feeling of like this is now the definitive version of Batman. Right. This is one more version of Batman, and we'll see. So, yeah. So to that, um, uh-huh. and sort of a little bit to the Lucius thing, the one character I feel we really left out here was Jonathan Crane, portrayed by Killian Murphy, who I think is oh, yeah. amazing. Um, I think this is a great scarecrow. Uh, I, I won't add too much besides that. I think that was great. Um, but do you know who was maybe going to play Scarecrow in the fifth Original in Batman Unchained or whatever, the sequel to the George Clooney one? No. Coolio. Apparently Coolio (laughs) played Jonathan Crane at the start of a motorcycle race. I don't even remember. I guess Alicia Silverstone was like doing a motorcycle race or something. I don't know. Uh But yeah, so I (laughs) I think that would have been hilarious. I think that would have been hilarious. I do think that, yeah, Killian Murphy is fantastic. I love this portrayal of him. The only thing I don't like, and again, this is mm. like a you know, yep. you know, um, like the movie was made at the time when people were very upset about like criminals getting off by claiming that they were mentally ill, you know, and like today, I think we have a much better understanding of like this rampant amount of untreated mental illness that often, and not just like the real extreme like talking to voices, but just you know all this stuff yeah. that that is very tied to. I want to be very careful here because like. A lot of criminal behavior can be linked to untreated mental illness. That is in no way saying that untreated mental illness leads to criminal behavior. Like, it's not... But still, dealing with the mental health crisis in this country and this world is a huge way of dealing with crime. 
And so I really don't like that it really kind of paints the idea of thinking of criminals as mentally ill. It's, oh, it's all fake. It's all, you know, messed up. So I don't like that part, but he's a great character and he's terrifying. And the way that they shoot things from the, like the fact that they make, they show people who are under that drug seeing Batman mm. in just this horrifying yeah, way yeah. is just so well yeah, done. Yeah, I think that's super effective. The way they show people seeing Scarecrow when he puts on his mask is so effective. Um, I totally agree that there's there's a whole lot to say about untreated mental illness and about the justice system and their intersection that is beyond the scope of this particular episode. Um, but there's mm-hmm. a lot there. And yeah, it it's it's not the best aspect of, of the film. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Uh, sorry, a pretty low note to, to end on. But yeah, so overall, so where does this rank in terms of your your Batman oeuvre? Yeah. And again, the, the ranking is like, it's more kind of like... Yeah, yeah. It, it, this is not one I... Is it fair to say that this is not one where you're like, eh, that's not... Like, you're perfectly happy with this version of Batman. It's not... You got some quibbles, but like... I think this, this is... is a, this is a good addition. I think this is a great rendition of, of Batman. It's a great take. Um, It's not my number one favorite, but I I love it. And um, actually, it's one of the things that got me back into watching um, more of the animation, actually. You know, and it got me into... Then, you know, when I saw the movie, I wasn't like, oh, that's not my Rachel Ghoul. I was like, oh, okay, this dude. You know, and then, like, I went and watched a bunch of the anime stuff. I was like, oh, I actually like that version better, which existed before. But, you know, yeah, I, I... I think this is a great Batman. Um, the performances are basically across the board outstanding. Um, all of yeah. the technical things and the score and the cinematography, I think, are extremely well done. Um, and I, I do think that there's a way that these movies kind of like, you know, elevated superhero movies in the eyes of the public is, I guess, what I would say. 100%. I, I don't think this podcast exists if it's not for The Dark Knight. I mean, somewhat right. Batman Begins as well, yeah. but then I, I think I think those two are of a piece of that was the first time I really was introduced to the idea that these movies could be that these movies could be a vehicle for talking about the ethical philosophical questions that I love. Yeah, you know, and I and I I mean, like The Dark Knight was nominated for Best Picture, and and Heath Ledger won Best Actor, yeah. and I think both of those were incredibly well deserved. And yeah, I don't I don't you know I think. Like, every, you know, I think in a lot of ways, the, the, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man was also an elevation of superhero movies beyond what they had been. And, like, you probably don't have the MCU without that. I think you absolutely don't have the MCU without these movies. You know, I think that these these movies t- made people take, like, the fact that a character wears a cape doesn't mean that it's not a very well-made movie with great acting, great score, great all the all the stuff you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and, and to be clear, I don't think that these movies necessarily elevated it Beyond, like, I think there were already superhero movies that were worth talking about that way, you know, that were yeah, extremely well done. I mean, Marlon Brando played Jarrell, Jarrell, right? Like, yeah. it's it's not like there wasn't any of that already. It's just I think that these are the ones that kind of like kicked it up a gear in the in the perception, yeah. right? And and then also the Dark Knight came out the same year as Iron Man, which I think. Did um, did a lot of the oh, same yeah. as well. Might have, might have helped. Might yeah. have helped. <laughs> so that, that was that was a summer. <laughs> yeah, that was a very good and the summer. Incredible right, well, Hulk. everybody remembers that one. Right? Okay. You know, I I, I like the. Kirby I think it's Ed underrated. Norton, Hulk. I think it's underrated. Yeah, I like. I it need a lot to rewatch it though. Yeah, we should someday. 
Paul, as always, thank you so much for uh, being a part of this. Uh, if people want to check out more of what Paul's doing, search for Zen Madman. I think ZenMadman.com, but also just search for Mad Madman on quite a lot of the social medias. You'll find Paul. Uh, of course, if you want to find more about the stuff I'm doing, go to TheEthicalPanda.com. Uh, that has all my other podcasts, but most importantly, that has the contact information because uh, like, we actually got a couple of emails about this movie that I didn't get a chance to read. We're going to read them as part of The Dark Knight, probably, as we'll kind of continue the Nolan verse. But, um, yeah, love to hear feedback. You can email, Facebook, Twitter. Um, we're getting some, we have had some people on, on uh, Twitter kind of continuing commentary and discussion of these things. It, it's what I live for. It's what I love. It's what makes this podcast so much fun is to continue these discussions. And there's so much to discuss about this movie. Is this your Batman? Do you not love this take? Do you want it a little more kind of campy or a little more fun or a little bit more surreal uh, and not quite so gritty? Let us know. All that contact information is on theethicalpanda.com as well as all the information about the other podcasts. So, I'm, I'm, so on behalf of myself, Paul, thank you all so much for listening in and have a great day. And I'm Batman. Until next time, unbelievers. Unbelievers.